Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, July the 15th, 2022. It is currently 3.07 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where all I want to do right now is go, no, no, okay? All, all I can do right now is express irritation, frustration, aggravation, because it's Friday, and it shouldn't be, but it is. It's Friday, and that means we are literally at the very end. Maybe we have, maybe what, 48 hours left? Maybe 48 hours left of this Bible study exercise that we have been working on, on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And when we've reached the end of this study, all I can say is, oh, no, frustration, irritation, aggravation, disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, depression, (laughs) deconstruction. I don't know. What other words can I add? I don't know if you feel the same way. I think those who've been through the entire study, maybe they feel the same way. A little bit of disappointment, a little bit of frustration. And because I think everyone is probably saying, well, that didn't really kind, that didn't go the direction I thought it was going to go. That's not the typical study of the Holy Spirit that I'm used to. I understand that. And I'm, I'm a little frustrated by it as well. But to be honest with you, I'm frustrated with the entire subject. Anyway, and I've been frustrated with the subject for a very long time. I don't know. Does it ever, do you ever get to the end of a Bible study where you're seriously working on something? And when you get to the end, you just like, ah, you just want to start throwing your notebooks. You just want to start throwing things across. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one, but I get there sometimes and I get frustrated. I get frustrated that you can spend hours and hours and hours and hours trying to teach and, and answer all the questions. And when uh, no matter how much work you put in, no matter how much study you put in, no matter how many books you read, sermons you listen to, how many classes you take, how many college degrees, seminary degrees, Bible college degrees, Bible insti- degrees you may have, all, all you can do, all you can do is when you get to the end, is, 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 and after all, no matter no matter how many degrees and how many studies you've done, you still will get to the end and someone will be like, disagree, don't agree with there, disagree with there, still disagree with you on this, don't agree with you. And you're just like, okay, gotcha, understand. Glad we spent 17 hours working on it. So, so you didn't change anyone's mind and everyone still disagrees. It's just frustrating. And this study has been frustrating because I felt like I've had to spend most of my time saying what I don't think the Holy Spirit is doing because I get so tired of all the claims of what he supposedly is doing that clearly contradicts the reality that everyone should be able to see. Look, here's the thing. You would think, you would think, I know this is crazy, all right? You 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 would think that Christians, you would think, maybe this is where all my frustrations begin. You would think that Christians could agree 
on what is real, right? Don't you don't you think so? Uh, someone else is talking in the chat about that the topic is definitely difficult. It it, it is, but you would think may, maybe this is my starting point, and maybe this is where everything went wrong. My starting point is is that all Christians should look at the world around them and go there. And we can agree on the following realities, right? We can agree on the following realities that obviously the Holy Spirit's not leading us into all truth because if he is leading us into all truth, we would agree on truth, but we can't agree on anything. And there's thousands of different denominations with all kinds of different doctrinal claims and confessions and creeds and everything else that we don't agree on. So he can't be leading us into all truth. And if he's leading us into all truth, then whatever conclusion I come to would be infallible because I came to the conclusion about that truth from the Holy Spirit leading me to it. So then all of my conclusions would be infallible. You think that this would just be like every Christian would be like, well, yeah, that's a pretty reasonable, that's a reasonable perspective, right? I mean, if the Holy Spirit's leading me into truth and everything I believe is is true, I got. I think I got from the Holy Spirit, therefore it's infallible, therefore I can't be wrong. But that Christian over there came to a different conclusion saying that they were led by the Holy Spirit. So not all of us can be led by the Holy Spirit. So how do we determine who's led by the Holy Spirit? And if he's leading us all, shouldn't we all come to the same conclusion? You think everyone should be able to realize, okay, there's a problem here. There, there's a problem. There's a problem here. But it doesn't matter you can point that out 50 different ways. And people say, nope, I still believe the, the Holy Spirit's leading us into truth. I still, he's still guiding us. Well, okay, well, congratulations. Your conclusion, I guess, is infallible. And so then when you say, well, I believe the Holy Spirit led me to my conclusion. Is, my, is not mine infallible? You never really get a decent reply from that, right? Because it would be like, well, if he led me, then then my, I'm right. So it just, at some point, you think everyone would be able to agree, this, this doesn't make any sense. You think Christians would be able to agree that clearly we do not possess some supernatural power to quote unquote live a godly life because if we were receiving supernatural power, then we should be able to be sinless. And since no one can be sinless, that means there's a limit to supposedly what power we claim to have. Clearly, there's a problem. Clearly, the old nature still exists. Like, you can just go through different things. But as we see in the charismatic world, doesn't matter how many people die, doesn't matter how many people get sick, they still will believe healing is guaranteed in the atonement. So when Christians can't agree on reality, (laughs) then we there's no hope of agreeing on, quote unquote, the supernatural, the, the theological, the biblical, the spiritual. If we can't even agree on what's actually real in front of us, then how are we ever going to enter into the world of the of the spiritual, the theological, when we can't even agree on what's right in front of us. When you're a charismatic church telling everyone God guarantees healing in the atonement for now, but yet people in your church get sick and die and they don't get resurrected and they didn't get healed from the disease that killed them, you think that they would be like, hmm, I don't think this works. I think that our theology is wrong, but no, no, just continue, just continue, just continue, just continue. Oh, I believe that God gives me the power to overcome sin. Well, how come everyone in your church is still sinning? How come you're still sinning? Like, if you can't acknowledge the reality in front of you, what, what hope is there? Like, do you see how discouraging that is? 
I'm so I, just so frustrated, just so frustrated by. And again, if the Holy Spirit's leading us into all truth, you think the least we could do is agree on, I don't know, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? We don't even agree on the very doctrine of the very person who's supposed to be leading us into all truth. Is it, isn't that ironic? So what do I want to do on this Friday afternoon? To be honest, I don't know what I want to do. Because I feel like I need to do something, right? I mean, we're running out of time. What do we want? What do I want to do? What can I do? I don't know. I, I don't, I, on some ways, I feel like no, no matter what I do, it doesn't matter. People who disagree with me are going to continue to disagree with me. Doesn't matter. They'll think they're right. They'll think they're right because they think the Holy Spirit led them to that conclusion. So therefore, there's no way for me to ever try to convince them that they're wrong because the Holy Spirit led them to that conclusion. Then they hold to an infallible conclusion. So therefore, there's no point in arguing or debating. It's an absolute waste of time. So what can we do? I still have on the YouVersion app, if you're following us as your church, Theology Central, I still have the A.W. Tozer devotional there, which, again, just goes through the basic kind of, once again, the Holy Spirit does all these supernatural things for us, even though we don't see the reality of it, um, which then calls into question if you're even saved. It's just, it's just so problematic. But that's there. Clearly, the curriculum is still there. So I guess this is what I'm going to do for the next, I don't even know how long this is going to take. I'm going to pull up the curriculum and go to the last session, which is the session for this week. And we're just going to work through it. And, and, uh, someone just says, so do we, we not just debate with them? It seems the best option. Well, here's the thing. That's a good question. That's a good question. Maybe, maybe I should have set up a time just to go live, just to say, everyone submit your questions while I'm live on the air. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe, maybe I can set up a time and just see how many people can tune in and just like bombard me with questions during the live broadcast. All right. Here's what I would say. If you're talking to someone who says that they believe the Holy Spirit leads them and guides them into understanding of scripture, understanding truth, I don't see what the point is in debating with them. I mean, you have, the, you have the ability to at least express the problem with that view. You can at least say, well, here's my problem with that view. And if they, they say, I don't agree or you're wrong, I would just say, okay. And I would just not, I'm just, okay. There's no point. There's no point in arguing because they literally are believing it is God who's leading them to their conclusion. How are you going to debate with God? If God led them to their conclusion, then their conclusion by definition is an infallible, is an infallible conclusion. You can't debate with infallibility. How do you debate with uh, the Catholic Church on the dogmas that they believe were reached by the infallible magisterium or the, or the Pope giving an infallible dogma at a specific time? Not ever. I mean, you'd have to look at the infallible parts of what the, the popes have said. But you get the idea. If, the, if they believe the Pope at that particular moment when he declared that to be a dogma of the church was infallible at that moment— then that's an infallible dogma that cannot be overturned. So there's no point in debating it. Now you can debate. Now you would have to. You can debate the argument that the Pope is not infallible at that particular time. But the point is, is you. I mean, there's just no point if someone believes that the Holy Spirit's leading him into to a conclusion. You arguing, you're not the Holy Spirit. You're not God. So you're going to lose the argument every single time because why would they listen to you when supposedly God led them to that conclusion? That's how come what I always try to say to people who start arguing with me is like, okay, well, Holy Spirit led me to my conclusion. 
And that usually ends the discussion because what are they going to say? <laughs> if you can claim the Holy Spirit led you to your conclusion, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the Holy Spirit led me to my conclusion. So therefore, my conclusion is infallible as your conclusion. Now, what you think they would say, well, that wouldn't work because we both could not come to an infallible conclusion that contradicts the other. You would think, but it doesn't matter. You would think charismatics who constantly believe the Holy Spirit's giving them revelation and information and constantly it's proven to be fraudulent, wrong, or they contradict it two years later, you think that that would cause a problem. There's Again, the whole issue is Christians can't seem to see a reality that is right in front of them. But it's a good question. But I don't have an answer. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to open up uh, the curriculum. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Okay, isn't this ironic? All right. Okay, not not to quote the famous song, but okay. <laughs> session six, the last session on this entire subject for the curriculum. If you need access to the curriculum for everything we're going to be doing in the future, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Simply say you want the curriculum, I'll send you the link. It's free. We won't go through all of that. Can you, oh, can, if you haven't seen the curriculum, you have no idea why I'm laughing. If you've seen the curriculum, you're probably, you, I would hope you're cracking up at this moment because literally the curriculum is, okay, session six, united through the spirit. The spirit is what brings unity to the body of Christ. And I mean, let me tell you, it's done a wonderful job. 2,000 years of church history, Christians indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and it's produced so much unity, right? Okay, we're going to see if they have some explanation for why there's so much disunity. So let me, I'll say this, let me ask you this question. When we speak of the unity of Christians through the Holy Spirit, are we speaking of a positional unity or a practical unity? And if we're speaking of a positional unity, does it even mean anything? And if we're talking about a practical unity, why are there thousands? I mean, we don't, I mean, there's disagreement even on the number of how many different Protestant groups there are out there believing completely different things. So clearly it can't be a practical unity. And if the Holy Spirit is supposed to bring unity, but it doesn't produce a practical unity, I don't know. It, would that be a good time to raise my hand and go, I'm confused? I think so. All right. Now I have, I'm going to have to make a joke here. <laughs> so for those who are easily offended, I'm sorry. It says session six, united through the spirit. And, uh, and uh, right underneath that, it's a picture of a family gathered around the dinner table, gathered around the kitchen table, and they're all eating and their smiles and everyone is happy and everyone is unified. Oh, and the, my, the first thing that comes to my mind, I think the only time Christians are ever unified is when they're sitting around shoving food down their throats because they're definitely not unified when they're sitting around with an open Bible. I know, that probably wasn't even a joke. That was probably kind of harsh. 
But I do think the only time Christians are unified is when they're sitting around shoving food down their throats. You sit down and open up the Bible and disunity ensues. So it's just funny that they have a picture, not of Christians sitting around holding a Bible. They have a picture of a family sitting around eating food. I just, I just find that humorous, right? You get Christians together and say, hey, let's, let's work on an outline of this chapter. Disagreement. Hey, let's do a Bible study. Disagreement. Hey, let's preach a disagreement. <laughs> but hey, let's sit around and eat some food. Amen. We're having good Christian fellowship. Yeah, you know why? Because we have food in common far more than we have the word of God in common. Ooh, I'm getting myself in trouble. I'm getting myself in trouble today. I probably should just stop. I probably should just, I probably should just stop today. That's probably what I should do. I probably should stop. <laughs> because I'm, I'm just going to make everyone mad by the end of this study. All right, here we go. Question one, right underneath that photograph. What is the glue that holds your family or circle of friends together? What is the glue? What is the thing that holds your friendship together? What is the, what is the glue that holds family and friends together? What, what is that glue? I wonder, what is that glue? What is that glue? We could, have, we could probably have an interesting discussion about that. What is that glue? I don't even know if we would agree on what the glue is that holds family and friends together. I doubt we could even agree on that. We won't answer it. We'll just skip it. Let's go down. The point. The Holy Spirit brings us together as one church. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm going to have a field day on this one. This one is going to get me, uh, we're going to lose 5,000 subscribers today. We, we are. I'm going to, I'm just going to offend everyone. I, there's just, I'm just going to tell you, if you're, if you are, if you're going to be easily offended, you probably should just leave now because I am just going to have so many problems here. All right. First of all, when you say that point, the Holy Spirit brings us together as one church. Let me see how this works. The Holy Spirit brings us together as one church made up of thousands of different denominations who can't agree on anything. The Holy Spirit brings us together as one church that will split at the drop of a hat. <laughs> the Holy Spirit brings us together as one church, but people will leave as soon as they get offended, upset, irritated, or don't like the way things are going. But we're, we're one church. The Holy Spirit brings together us, brings us together as one. One what? One church? Oh, it's a, it's the invisible spiritual church. Oh, so we're one. You know why we can maintain that oneness in the invisible spiritual church? Because we never see each other. We're never around each other. It never meets. There's never any meetings. There's never any sermons because it's the invisible, just we're part of some invisible spiritual body where we never come in contact with each other. But the minute we come in contact with each, each other, there's disunity. There is problems. There's church splits, there's fighting, there's arguments, there's divisions, there's schisms. So, I mean, do you brag about the Holy Spirit brings us together as one church when the church is not really one in any meaningful way? Oh, it may be meaningful in some spiritual way, which is great, but it doesn't have any practical ramifications on anything we do on this earth. 
unless you try to then try. And typically any attempts to be one on earth means, you know what it means. You throw out doctrine and theology because if you have doctrine and theology, it always divides. Oh boy, here's the passage. I knew there were, I knew this had to come in somewhere. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So the point, the Holy Spirit brings us together as one church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They want us to start reading in verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, which is the same God, which worketh all and all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given, uh, given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body... Okay, now I'll stop right here. We'll stop right in verse 11. Now, let's just remember, that's just talking of the Spirit, diver, giving out... Uh, and dispersing different gifts to different people in different situations, but he's doing so according to his will. doesn't mean that those uh, gifts and uh, powers and abilities are operational today because once I believe the Bible was concluded and the apostolic age ends, clearly those gifts and abilities ended because if, if they were still active today, it wouldn't be all over the news every day because we'd be seeing these supernatural things occurring which we clearly do not. But again, Christians can't agree on that reality because as soon as you say there, say, well, I know of someone who is in, you know, seven miles under the ocean with no cameras and no phones who was healed of this. And you're like, okay, well, can I get their medical records? Can I get any? Nope, not, no, no, I have no proof to verify anything, but it occurred. So you should just believe in miracles because I have a story. Well, I'm sorry. Now, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way for me, does it? work that way. Because obviously, these are not happening all the time, like everyone wants to claim, right? So, I believe these many of these gifts mentioned obviously have ceased. I mean, just facts would have to tell you that, right? But here we go. Verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that body all of that, okay, let me read this again. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For why, by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether uh, we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now, the key verse, I'm assuming, will be, uh, possibly verse 13, for by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Now, here are the different ways of interpreting that. Some, I've went, and I can just go through some of the different schools that I attended. I attended one school who believes, no, this is just referencing water baptism, even though it's saying the spirit, it's through that, that it's through water baptism that we are enter into a local congregation. And this is referring that we all become one in a local congregation. Others like, no, this is spirit baptism where we all become a part of the universal or invisible bride of Christ. And that's how we're one. 
See, we we can't be one in in our in our in our everyday practical life because the church is so divided. But we can say that we're one there. So then, in this case, the one the unity is is, is I hate to say it, it's just it's it's a, it's a theoretical idea that hey. Because you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, we've all been baptized into one invisible universal body, but that, that, that unity doesn't have any practical implications, right? You can, you can, you can believe completely different than I can believe. We have no unity in belief. We have no unity in doctrine. We have no unity in nothing. But in, but there's this theoretical unity that we all have because we're in the body of Christ. And some people, some Christians think, well, that see, that's great. That's wonderful. We have this great unity. But what does that unity mean if it doesn't mean anything in any practical, meaningful way? We're still not one church. We're still not one body. As far as practice is concerned, thousands and thousands of different denominations who can't agree on anything. So you either go with this, this is, this is some, this is somehow a symbolic way of referring to we're going to be into one congregation, that, that each individual congregation, that's what we're baptized into, and that's the one body that it's referencing. But even the, the individual congregations fall apart and split all the time. So how much unity is actually there and them as well? Let's see what they do with this. All right. Here we go. In June 2016, the election of the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention was a close race. A runoff vote was still too close to call, leading to a second runoff vote. Prior to that vote, though, one of the candidates, J.D. Greer, withdrew his candidacy. Greer told the convention he had prayed the night before and believed he needed to suggest his opponent, Steve Gaines, be elected by acclamation. Interestingly, Gaines had also decided to withdraw as a candidate for the sake of unity. The two men met, prayed, and agreed that Gaines should be the sole nominee and take the role of president. These men had determined that unity in the mission was what was most important. The decision was a remarkable display of unity. Was it a remarkable display of unity? It may appear to be, but uh, I don't know if you've followed the politics of the Southern Baptist Convention. There's been nothing but disunity and fighting and disagreeing and arguing. Well, pretty much forever. Okay. But all right, that, that's great. I guess it's a, it's a, it's a sign of, of unity. So are they going to say, see, this one sign of unity is how the Holy Spirit, well, if the Holy Spirit produced this unity, why wouldn't it just bring unity into the entire denomination? I don't know. Why would it bring unity to the entire body of Christ? But let's see what they do here. Christians are a diverse group of people. Really? Really? Even within a particular denomination, we are different in culture, age, socioeconomic status, skills, personality, and sometimes even in the priorities we hold. The only thing that can bring unity among such people is the movement of God's spirit. He gives us a common faith, and a common mission. Here we go. We're right back to the, the concept that it's the, it's the Holy Spirit that, that, that brings us together. Now, they're talking in a practical way. See, they're, they're, they've left the theoretical way. No, this is a practical way. It's the Holy Spirit gives us common faith, common mission. Does, is that the way it works? Remember, we have 2,000 years of church history. We have 2,000 years of church history that would scream, mm, disunity, 
disunity, disunity, arguing, fighting, church split, new denomination. One denomination splits into it. Watch what's going on right now with the Methodists. I mean, what in the world is that all about? Like, I don't even know. We're going to have one Methodist, but we're going to have all these different Methodist groups. It's just, it's chaos. The Southern Baptist Convention is always fighting and arguing about something and always the threat that someone's going to break away. And then you had, you can even go back to the early 1900s where you had the quote unquote, the fundamentalists breaking away from the, what they felt was the liberal Southern Baptist. You had different groups break away. I mean, we, it's just an entire history of arguing and fighting and disagreeing. They continue. Um, they, they quote 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. I'll just read it as they have it quoted here in the study guide. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The manifestation of the spirit, this is a key word they want us to look at. The phrase refers to the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in a believer through the use of spiritual gifts. When the Apostle Paul traveled to a new city, he would go, he would first go to the synagogue to preach the good news of the Messiah to the Jews who lived there. As Paul told the good news of the Messiah, many responded to the message of Christ by placing their faith in him. Paul then carried the gospel to the marketplace of the city and proclaimed the Christ to the Gentiles. They also would respond to the gospel. The resulting group of believers, both Jew and Gentile, would form a single church family, but they were far from a homogenous group. Paul addressed the diversity in the Corinthian church because while diversity is good, the church had become divided into factions. Yeah, I know. That's, that's kind of what I'm talking about here, right? They were not only divided by culture, but also by their understanding of ministry and of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 was a call for unity in the church. Now, please note, a call for unity. A call for unity. Now, I think that's important. Paul is addressing a church that's all broken apart and fighting and arguing and divided. So he has to try to call for unity. Well, that would seem to imply that the Holy Spirit doesn't just immediately bring about the unity because 2,000 years of church history would say that's not the case. So is it the Holy Spirit that brings us together or is it a constant fighting and trying to get people to be unified when it almost, it's a rarity more than it is a normal Like on one hand, the Holy Spirit does it. On the other hand, Paul has to plead with them to be unified. Some people say, it's the Holy Spirit, but we have to go along with the Holy Spirit. And once again, if it's the Holy Spirit, why can't the Holy Spirit go overcome our not wanting to, to accomplish what would be better for the kingdom of God? But that's a whole different point here. Let's see where they continue to go here. Key words in this passage are diversities and differences. Paul discussed diversities of gifts, differences of administrations, and diversities of operations. The Holy Spirit is the one who equips, but he does not give the same gift to all believers. People will not be drawn to the same kind of ministries. The Spirit-inspired passions of one person may seem odd and out of step to another, yet it is the same Spirit who works in us. These three areas of differences, gifts, administrations, and operations, describe the working of the Holy Spirit, but each word captures that work from a different perspective. Gifts, a gracious bestow, uh, bestow a gift of blessings on the members of the church by the Spirit. 
So basically, it's a, it's a gracious gift. It's a blessing on, on the members of the church. Administration, the service carried out with those gifts, focuses on the purpose the Lord has for these gifts. Operations, the work of God through actions that point to the leadership of God using each person's and their gifts. For example, the Spirit gives one person the gift of evangelism. That person would have a willing heart for the loss and desire to engage them with the gospel. His ministry would be to engage with the lost for the purpose of seeing them respond in faith. The activities would include the specific ways God works through that individual for the purpose of evangelism, such as directing him to a specific place at a specific time to share Christ in a specific way. Now, once again, this is going to the Holy Spirit guiding and the Holy Spirit leading and the Holy Spirit speaking and all of that just not that... I mean, you can't read a book on the Holy Spirit where they're just always going to this like mysterious supernatural functioning where it's leading and guiding and speaking. And again, I, I, just, I if, if, if the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding and so, so specific, one, there should just be unity. Not only that, we should believe the same thing. And not only that, why do we even need the Bible if he's guiding me in such specific ways? But okay. Um. They go on to say, um, rifts were occurring in the Corinthian church. Therefore, Paul stressed unity in the body. Pride over certain spiritual gifts and one upsmanship caused tremendous damage to the fellowship. The gifting of the spirit does not create division. The same spirit gives all gifts. The same Lord calls us to use them in ministry and the same Lord leads us to action. God is one, the Father, Son, and Spirit. God is one and he expects his church to function as one. Well, if he expects the church to function as one, why is the church so divided 2,000 years later? (laughs) Can we acknowledge the reality in front of us? Can we? It seems that Christians have a hard time acknowledging the reality of the world in front of us. There's just so much disunity. However, Paul was not calling for uniformity. Uniformity means we're doing the same thing the same way. The Holy Spirit works through people differently, but in our various ways of living in the Spirit, we exhibit a unity of purpose. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Gifts are more than characteristics the Spirit gives us. They display the power of God by working through us in different ways. These gifts are snapshots of God's power. When we understand that, it ends personal pride. In fact, the gifts are not about individuals and what we want to do. uh, God gives us the gifts to profit others. No matter how God has gifted you and me, however, we use these gifts and his service for his church and for the good of all his people. All right. All of that sounds good. It just doesn't really answer any question. God wants the church to operate as one. Okay, well, what about 2,000 years of church history where we haven't operated as one? Okay, well, he doesn't want uniformity. Okay, he wants unity in what? You'd think he would want unity in doctrine, right? You'd think he would want unity in interpretation, right? you think he would want, I mean, you think there would be lots of things he would want us to be unified in. So we always have to create some kind of artificial unity that, that somehow satisfies our confusion, makes us feel better, but it's really nothing more than these just very vague words that have no meaning in any practical way. 
Um, they say, question two, what can we learn from these verses about God's intention for his church? Well, I, I don't know. What, what, what can we learn about God's intention? They quote then 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. For to one is given the spirit, the word of wisdom, another faith, to another working of miracles. You get the idea, all the, these verses about all the different gifts he gives. One key truth resounds through these verses. There is one spirit. Paul mentioned a variety of gifts individuals might use in the body of Christ. But regardless of the gift, they all come from the same spirit. The church has a diverse range of gift and ministries, but the work is done through the Holy Spirit. Paul's list of spiritual gifts in this passage differs somewhat from our other lists contained in the New Testament, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter. Paul did not provide a comprehensive list of gifts. His emphasis was more on the spirit who gives gifts than on the specific gifts we receive from him. Paul was demonstrating different ways the Spirit gifts his people. Over the years, people have attempted uh, to group the gifts in various ways, but perhaps the simplest way is to put them in four broad categories. Gifts that support, gifts that share, gifts that speak, and gifts that supplement. All right, that's fine. Um, we can get we can get into a debate all day about the gifts and well, I mean again what's so what blows my mind is there's not even agreement on the gifts which gifts are operational which gifts are not operational and how they're operational today there's not even agreement on that that's what I find so ironic here is a the the, the study guide wants us to talk about the 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 Holy Spirit brings unity then it starts talking about the gifts but the study guide is not willing to acknowledge. There's no agreement within Christianity on these very gifts. Isn't that the most ironic thing? The Holy Spirit brings unity. So we're going to look at a chapter where the Holy Spirit gives gifts, but no one in Christianity agrees on these gifts, which are operational and how they work today. I, that. If you don't find a little bit of humor in that, I, I don't know what to tell you, but that just makes me laugh. It makes me laugh almost out of sadness, but it's just, it's so just absurd. The Holy Spirit brings unity. Look at this section. See the Holy Spirit giving all these different gifts. Oh, by the way, nobody agrees on what these gifts are, when they're operational, when they ceased. But but hey, look, it, it just seems like a, a, a very frustrating situation. All right. Uh, they go on. Okay, uh, there's, they, they give some story, just random story. Okay, then they do this. All right. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. All right, here we go. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. The key word they want us to look at here is baptized. The term refers to baptism in the Holy Spirit by which every believer is incorporated into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. Now, make sure we understand. I went to at least one school who says that this is, this is a reference to water baptism, which we enter into the local congregation. They're saying this is the Holy Spirit's baptism where we are placed into the body of Christ, the moment of our salvation. So the moment of our salvation, this is the way it's typically taught. The minute you became a Christian, whether you ever join a local church, you're in the body of Christ. 
And therefore, we're unified because we're in the body of Christ. And, and this makes a lot of Christians feel like, see, then there's unity. Just make sure we understand what that means. That's not that's a, a unity of just position. That's not a practical unity in any way, shape, or form, right? Because that universal invisible body, it doesn't meet, doesn't have a confession of faith. It, it, I mean, it, I mean it, 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 it doesn't have anything. It's just, well, when you become saved, you're in it. Now, that's great. That's awesome because you can feel like, well, see, there's at least some kind of unity, but it's the most, it's a, it's a unity in theory, not a unity in practice. And we have to acknowledge that. So they go on to say here, Paul used an analogy to illustrate his point, describing the church as Christ's body. He extended this analogy through the rest of the chapter, and in so doing, he gave us a strong visual picture of the unity of the church. Paul wrote that the human body is one and hath many members, hands, feet, eyes, a pancreas, all the different parts of the body, a lot of parts. Uh, all those parts are important to you. Your body can function with only one eye, but the, but the loss creates new challenges. Even though you can't see your pancreas trying to living without one, but you still only have one body. Your body is not a collection of random spare parts. All the parts add up to one body. You never talk about the different parts of your body as separate bodies. You always see your body as one. It, uh, it is the same with the body of Christ. We are one spiritual body in Christ. There are many of us, but we are so we are not a disconnected group of random individuals that just happen to be sitting together in the same building. We are one. Now again, so now it's going back to now the same building. So now, see, when we're in this church, see, we're all unified. We're all one. Are we really unified or one? Because again, people will walk out of your church just like that. They will leave your church just like that. They will divide your church just like that. So are we really one? Or is it just like, well, we, we, we appear to be one now. It, 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 or are you talking we're one when we're in the body of Christ, the invisible body of Christ? Are they referring to the body of Christ as the local congregation or the invisible? Well, the local congregation, well, that's just a local congregation that's different than the local congregation across the town where there's not agreement. So... What, what is this unity actually all about? You see where this is ending up again. Once again, we're talking about what we're, we're, we're trying to understand the reality versus what Christians constantly say. Let's see what if they go on here. Our unity, once again, our unity is not because of the similarity of the parts. The bricks in your house have a certain sense of uniformity because they're all pretty much the same. Same size, same color. Uniformity, though, is not the same as unity. Unity comes from having a shared Lord and a shared purpose. Christ's body is more like an organic whole where essential parts function differently, but also independently. Some of the Corinthians were Jews and some were Greeks. Some of them were slaves, others were free. The church today is varied as they were. Believers today come in all shapes and sizes and ethnicities and with a variety of gifts and ministries, but we're all one in Christ. The church depends on the differences its members bring to the church. When I look at my church family, I see a rich gathering of individuals. Alan has a heart of deep compassion. Lim is a fairly new Christian who loves to contribute financially whatever he can to the ministry of the church. Tim is a detailed guy who can explain our church documents and knows when the microphone batteries need to be charged. Betty's home is always open. Chloe is a teenager with a ready smile and a warm hug. And them, I see different expressions of mercy, giving, administration, hospitality, and encouragement. 
Together we are one church. The Holy Spirit is working through the many parts he, he has assembled as one body. Paul pictured the work of the Spirit to bring people together in two ways. Again, he, now so he, now he's back to now he's back to the local church. So is he referring to the body of Christ as the invisible thing? There we're unified, but he keeps now saying, no, 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 no. The unity happens within the local congregation. Well, again, does it really happen in the local congregation? I, I, I mean, I. I, this is, there's not in any tangible way, explain this in any way. Oh, it's using these great spiritually sounding words and illustrations. And oh, these beautiful pictures. He described the different people in his church. Oh, that's so wonderful. But I still don't know exactly how this is even supposed to work. So it says, Paul pictured the work of the spirit to bring people together in two ways. Number one, by one spirit, we're all baptized. It seems likely that Paul used the picture of water baptism to remind us of a spiritual truth. Believers are united together because we're all immersed in Christ and his Holy Spirit. Together we are surrounded by him, engulfed in him. Okay, so once again, I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm ver- making sure I'm not missing any comments here. So I, I, again, that's so vague. So it seems like Paul uses the picture of water baptism to remind us of a spiritual truth. Believers are united because we're all immersed into Christ and his Holy Spirit. So we're un- So this is just a positional unity. This is not a practical one, right? So you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, we're unified because we're in Christ. Great. Now what does that unity mean Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Are we unified in belief? No. Are we unified in interpretation? No. Are we unified in churches? No. Are we, what are we unified in? Uh, Yeah, no, nobody, nobody can give me an answer. Oh, well, that, that positional unity is sufficient. Okay. Well, then don't claim that the Holy Spirit is what brings us together in any meaningful way, because clearly the Holy Spirit just brings us together in a positional way, not in a practical way. Then it goes on to say, um, so the, the first way is, is the Holy Spirit brings us together because we've been baptized. By one spirit, we've been baptized. Number two, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. We are immersed in the Holy Spirit and we're also filled with him. We are in him and he is in us. We share the same spirit who works through us. So we're unified because we have the same Holy Spirit. All right. Again, this would just be a theoretical positional unity, would not be a practical one in any way, shape, or form. They go on to say, several years ago, I was invited to teach at a retreat for Romanian young adults. In so many ways, I was not like them. But during the retreat, I grew to love them dearly and feel a deep sense of connection with them. Unity among different kinds of people seems unrealistic, but the Holy Spirit works in us, binds our heart to each other, and gives us a common purpose and makes us one. So was the Holy Spirit making the church one when we were segregated and would not allow people of different race into our churches? Was was the church... Was the church, was the Holy Spirit bringing us together when many in the church supported the buying and selling of human beings as slaves? I mean, I mean, but that's, that's it. That's how the study guide ends. What, What does that mean? That was a lot of spiritually sounding words with no real explanation of what that means. 
Well, we're all baptized in the Holy Spirit, so we're unified. Are we? He speaks of it as a done deal. However, in the other parts of the thing, it's something Paul was having to correct the Corinthian church for. So clearly it's not just something that happens. So what does it mean that the Holy Spirit brings unity? That it unifies us. It brings us together. I 100% believe in a positional unity. I don't think you can get around that, right? If you have the Holy Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit. We're united, right? We're united in our relationship. You're a Christian, I'm a Christian, therefore we can consider ourselves brothers or sisters in Christ. So we're we're unified in Christ, we're unified in our family connection, those, those are all those are all positional things, positional truths. It would be impossible in fact it would be it would be irresponsible. It would actually be a denial of reality if we claim the Holy Spirit produces some kind of unity in a practical way. I mean, think about this. If, if you have a, a, a family, husband, wife, kids, let's say most of the members of that family claim to be Christians. Let's say they're believers. That should be the most unified family in the history of the world, right? They're all filled with the same Holy Spirit, should be unified in faith, unified in purpose. You should, should just be unified in everything, Right? If a church is filled with believers, shouldn't every church be the most unified? And if all Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit and that produces some kind of practical unity, then there should be one church. So once again, you see where we're going to end up with this Bible study. There are constant claims that the Holy Spirit is doing something in a practical, tangible way that any honest look at reality would tell you that's not happening. There, even within Christianity, you, I don't know if you understand this. There's not even a, there are those who disagree with the idea of an invisible body, the invisible church, the quote unquote invisible bride of Christ. There are those who even disagree with that doctrine. But if you accept that doctrine, that at least gives us some sense of unity. That when I became a Christian, you became a Christian, even if we may never agree on doctrine, theology, nor we would ever go to the same church, or my church would never work with your church, and your church would never work with mine, because we probably would consider each church is wrong, we would still be unified in the quote-unquote invisible body of Christ. That does say, okay, there, there's some unity there. It just what bothers me is it just does, it just so, what does that mean? So we can be unified in a theoretical way, but we cannot be unified in a practical way, even though we supposedly have the same Holy Spirit, supposedly doing all of these miraculous things. Again, if the Holy Spirit is supposedly doing all these miraculous things in us, then we should be unified in truth. We should be unified in interpretation. We should be unified in purpose. 
We should be unified in church. What some now some Christians would argue, well, you know, there's differences. But they see those differences as just, that's okay. It's okay that we have different, it doesn't, it just, it doesn't matter if we have a thousand, two thousand. Some Christians are not bothered by all the different denominations, all the different interpretations. They're not, they're, that doesn't bother them. They, they don't care. They don't see a problem with it. And yet they'll still claim it's the, the Holy Spirit's what brings us together. And even in that study guide, sometimes he seems to be referring to the invisible body. Then sometimes he seems to be speaking of the local body. But he didn't even bother, the author didn't even bother to address the fact that, well, there's so much disunity and division in the body of Christ in a practical way. So what does it mean? Does the Holy Spirit bring unity? Positionally, yeah. I wish it did practically. I told you that this was going to end. And I told you I was frustrated by starting this. And I'm frustrated by ending this. Because, see, I, I can't come to some magical super, you know, oh, I've, I've got the answer. This fixes everything. There is no easy fix. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. is really a study in what the church claims to be true in the face of a reality that proves it isn't true. That's an awkward place to be in. In some ways, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is a study in what the church claims to be true in the face of a reality that proves it isn't true. Because whenever it comes to the Holy Spirit, Christians run around talking about the Holy Spirit does this and we have power and we have this and he leads and he guides and we and, and he creates unity and he does these things. He's doing these things. And you're like, and look at the church. Look at your own life. Look at the reality. The reality says something very, 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 very different. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not doing a work. It just means, I think in some cases, we are, we are making claims about the Holy Spirit that may not be accurate claims. Or we don't even take into account what we are claiming when we make those claims. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to fulfill the law of God. Okay, well, then why do Christians keep sinning? We should just be able to stop sinning. Well, I mean, he gives you the power. Then we have to start making all kinds of excuses. He leads us into all truth. But that means then every conclusion you come to is from God. Therefore, it's infallible. Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. Well, if he's leading us into all truth, how come we don't agree? Well, well, then we have to once again start trying to explain. We make the claim and then find ourselves trying to explain it away. Well, the Holy Spirit brings unity. Somehow. (laughs) Whenever you make a claim and then finding yourself having to kind of backtrack and explain it away, then your claim is not as you've made a claim in a way that did not accurately 
describe the reality of what you're claiming because you wouldn't have to backtrack. You wouldn't have to try to explain. No, no, I didn't. I don't mean we can be sinless. I don't mean that we have. I don't mean. Uh, well, I don't. Okay, well, the minute you start backtracking, meaning that that means you're being confronted with the reality that even you know contradicts what you just said. That's weird that we have to study a doctrine and spend more time going, uh, here's what the church claims. Here's the reality we face. The two are at conflict. No, I know I'm going to get some charismatic who emails me. We walk by faith and not by sight. Okay. You can walk by faith and not by sight, but sooner or later, the, your, the sight is clearly calling into question what you're claiming. I'm going to make sure there's no comments. I doubt there's going to be any comments because, yeah, I didn't think there's going to be any more comments because everyone's probably ticked off at me, but that's okay. I wish I could understand it. Here's how I, here's what I wish. Here's what I wish. When I became a Christian, I wish that I was, that the Holy Spirit came into me and it gave me power so that I never have to sin, I never have to struggle, and I can live a sinless life. I wish that to be true. I believe I am dwelt by the Holy Spirit, but I don't believe I'm being given some supernatural power because if I was given supernatural power, I'd be able to overcome sin. I'd be able to overcome the sinful nature. I would, I'd be able to be perfect. And clearly, I can't be perfect. I wish I could be. I wish the Holy Spirit that every time I read my Bible— he would lead me into truth, and he would lead me to the same conclusion that he's leading every other believer so that we would all be unified and there would be basically just one church. That's not happening. I wish the Holy Spirit was so unifying the church that there would be one church and there wouldn't be so many fights and doctrinal disputes and divisions in 2,000 years of church history. I wish all of those things to be true. For everyone who claims those things are true, I'm with you in wishing it to be true. I just cannot ignore the reality of it's not happening. Christians and dwelt with the Spirit still sin, still struggle, still fall, still have the same problems, and, and any denial of that is just, it's just not accurate. Christians claim that we're being led into all truth, but we can't agree on anything. Christians claim they're being given revelation from God, which then would destroy the sufficiency of Scripture. We, we could just go all day. So many of their claims, I, I, it's not that I don't want them to be true. I wish they were true. It's just not true. We are indwelt by the Spirit. We're sealed by the Spirit. Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. Whatever else the Spirit is doing, I can't make claims that I just know is not happening. I don't know about you. The disunity It has bothered me. It does bother me. 
and it will forever bother me. And somehow just saying that we all are a part of some invisible body or in part of the invisible body of Christ, the invisible church, doesn't really satisfy my desire for unity. It doesn't. We'll end there. We may come back and do something else before Sunday is over. Maybe uh, Sunday night we'll do a little bit more work on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and, and end it with a, a, an in-person message from my book, uh, Wilmington's Guide to the Bible, that I used in one of the seminaries I went to. Uh, well, we may try to finish that up. But even that book was becoming frustrating as well because, again, making claims. And then some of the claims, there's just no real under – like just – if you, if you don't believe me, you just go to that curriculum and you read that curriculum and when it's over, you write down a paragraph of what did that curriculum actually teach you is meant by the Holy Spirit bringing unity. Like, you just what does, what does it mean in a tangible way? It was the most theoretical thing that never really, it was not specific enough for me to even agree or disagree because they would not say what it actually meant. On one hand, you think you're pointing to the invisible body. The other hand, it seems it's pointing to the local congregation, but never even bothered to acknowledge the amount of disunity we've seen in 2,000 years of church history. Once again, making a claim without acknowledging the reality that contradicts it. And that seems to me to be Christianity in a nutshell. And it shouldn't be. We have to deal with the reality we see. We have to deal with that reality. If we don't deal with the reality, we're just living in denial. We're just playing. It's like a little kid playing house. It's a little kid playing house, but it denies the reality that clearly, hey, you're just playing right now. And then in a minute, you're just going to go back to, you're just pretending to be something. Well, we're just pretending in many cases to be things that we're not and say things and believe things that we know is not the way it actually is. I wish I had a good answer, but I don't. I don't. And that's really frustrating. I I really wish I had a good answer, but I don't. All right, we'll stop right there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. We've got, what, about 48 hours left maybe for this study. Um, And then we'll have to bring this all to a conclusion with a lot of unanswered questions. And and I know there's going to be lots of disagreement. And look, if you want to believe the Holy Spirit's doing all these things, by all means, go believe it. You can believe all day that he's doing all these things. Maybe one day, though, you'll stop and look around going, man, something's wrong with my claim versus all the reality that I am starting to actually have to acknowledge. And maybe you'll even acknowledge the lack of the reality of what you claim in your own life. Hopefully, the next study will be less controversial. Maybe. Not saying we're done with this subject forever. Just saying for this Bible study exercise, we have to bring this to a conclusion. So newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.